0: Hello, how are you all doing? This is the University of Brighton podcast. I'm Richard Newman. Coronavirus means we all are having to get used to a very different way of life, working and learning from home and limiting time outside of your home aside from essential reasons isn't easy. So more than ever, it's so important to look after our mental health and to help that in this podcast. Our guest is Professor Angie Hart, Director of the Centre of Resilience for Social Justice based in the School of Health Sciences Hi, Angie. First of all, how are you finding everything?
1: I'm coping. I'm I'm getting to to grips with my deep British spirit of um, perseverance. And I'm just basically getting on with it, Richard.
0: It is all a a bit odd, isn't it? And certainly taking some time for us all to get used to. We're going to talk about taking ideas from resilience research to help support well-being. I think it'd be good, first of all, for you to define how you and the university department uh, defines resilience. A lot of people may look at it as just get on with it, Um, but how how, how do you define it?
1: Yeah, funny, when I was just talking about the Great British Perseverance, I was uh, slightly tongue in cheek (laughs) there because um, our way of thinking about resilience is very much not about just individual, pulling up your socks and getting on with it but actually about the, the relationship between what we do as individuals in society, what the community supports that we have around us and also the wider social, social support from government, for example, so it's very much uh, an idea that is not just about us as individuals somehow pushing through and um, managing in really, really difficult situations. Uh, the our way of thinking about resilience is, is very much founded on the idea that you have to have some kind of uh, adversity context, as we put it. So something happening that, that might be chronic um, or it may be something that is short term that is really, really very difficult and something that getting through it. Um, you know, in a state that's well is is not necessarily going to happen, and certainly the coronavirus situation it, it counts for that. The other thing I wanted to say about our our definition is that it it is a definition that focuses on what happens in relation to individuals but also about wider communities and societies. So it's about beating the odds and also changing the odds. And that's really important to think about in this current situation, not just thinking about our own individual resilience, but that of, wider communities and society, particularly the most disadvantaged people in society, and really getting ourselves in, into a kind of situation where the, these sort of situations are, are very much less likely to ever happen again.
0: I, I've rewatched your TED Talk, which was from a little while ago, but now it's so relevant. You said then that you have to learn to believe in the almost impossible. For most of us, all of this is so new. We we don't know where it ends. The uncertainty isn't helpful for many, uh, and the ends can seem a long way off.
1: Yeah, believing in the almost impossible in this situation. Well, now there there there's a real challenge for us all, isn't there? So for me, the key components of that would be one one thing to just keep plodding on, doing absolutely everything you can to get through the day day to day. You'll 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 be needing in these situations now to be prioritizing the basics are you sleeping are you getting food to eat are those around you Getting the are you supporting the most vulnerable people that you're in contact with? And if you aren't in contact or you have no people in your life who are who are really vulnerable, get some. It's an easy thing to do. There's a there's lots of volunteering opportunities out there. But so um, attending to our basics and it really concentrates our minds these kinds of situations around what we really need in life for one thing as well. So that's uh, one part of it. The second part is around what we do about the future. And a part of our resilience approach is always thinking about a view to the future. Um, but not in this situation, a view to the future so much so that you're um, catastrophizing and, and surrounding yourself with other people who are catastrophizing. So I'm quite protective myself about my own mental health. I only watch the news once a day because otherwise it sends me into a panic sometimes. I choose to um, read more positive news stories where I can. I I spend lots of time talking to people who have a more positive outlook whenever I can and things like that. And also, I have a real tenacity about trying to do things that are difficult. So again, you know, for any of us, there are some things now where perseverance is really going to come in and we just need to to really, really work hard and, and crack on. with, with, for example, getting our shopping, these basic things that before we just took for granted. We're all of us now, and some more than others, uh, are struggling to get the basics sorted. The other thing that I also think is very important for those of us who are more privileged is to be constantly thinking about other people and um, our own privilege, and, and actually just not be moaning all the time. So we've got a decent house to live in. We haven't got children with complex needs in a tiny little one-bedroom flat somewhere. Um, and we some of us have got gardens. So really, we're, um, we're very lucky compared to many other people. And that can be very protective to really understand your own priv- privilege and be grateful for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of people, this virus will be especially stressful because of those situations. We've got a lot you know a lot of people like you say are very fortunate that this really is their key concern at the moment but for a lot of other people this is you know this is something which you know they've already very stretched as it is in terms of their own maybe their own mental health and the coping mechanisms but this is something that's on top of it and it's it's they're going to struggle even more
1: well i've just read a blog by someone who is um severely disabled and housebound uh anyway and um Her blog basically says, well, you know, the rest of you are getting a little, little taste of what it's like for me in my daily life, actually. I can't go anywhere. I'm housebound. there, there, There aren't public transport options that serve me. And um, I have very little online community because um, there's lots of online things that you can access, for example, Pilates or yoga or something. But I can't actually. I, I find it very, very tiring to do that. And um, and once I do that, I'd rather have some kind of a community around it. But but normally it's just me stuck at home. Um, so that is those sort of things are very very salutary I think. And I do hope that this this experience is going to could really show some of those of us who are more privileged that we will shine a bit more of a light on the lives and, and day-to-day practices of other people that we just don't really have any insight into
0: I was going to say that actually in that um, obviously it takes a certain amount of time to form habits and new behaviors and we don't know how long this is going to last for it could be quite a while so I guess one positive that may came come out of this is that like you say people that maybe are a bit more privileged can think about their community can think about people that are more vulnerable and it's all wired into them going forward when this is all over
1: yeah i'm really hoping that that's the case i mean for me i've been juggling for many years being a a a very privileged academic with um supporting and caring for my three kids all of whom have got complex needs and um were in foster care in their early years so that, that's been quite and that actually puts me in quite a good place for coping in this situation because I am actually very used to dealing with really really complex situations juggling difficulties supporting other people this is all my daily practices anyway I mean I think this this is different challenge now for us going forward in terms of working at the university having to work online all the time you know supporting our students around their complexities but but as I say those of us who who have more hardship in our lives and that goes back further anyway um, are perhaps um, really quite used to to dealing with this and there's a lot to be learned from those people who have been struggling through the years and I would again suggest that people take note of of things like this 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 blog by the this disability per this disabled person that i was talking about amnesty international have got a really good um blog post up as well about the human rights implications of this and the fact that it will be affecting homeless people um People experiencing domestic violence, people with learning difficulties, refugees and women disproportionately. All of these things are really being crystallised now through through this coronavirus crisis.
0: Mm. We're, go- we're going to talk about the resilience framework in just a minute as well. And um, Resilient Moves too. after the panic buying that we've seen over the early weeks of this crisis things are settling down a little bit now and i guess supermarkets finding better ways for people to to shop people are starting to behave in a different way when you're talking about resilient moves i guess the panic buying that we saw and the sort of hysteria isn't really one of them one of your resilient moves that you'd suggest
1: no, well, with a panic buying again, that's a very individualising. It's a very it's a concept that makes us think about ourselves, isn't it? Unless some of the what is was perceived to be panic buying was actually people buying on behalf of their communities. And I know someone was telling me in a very distressed way that they 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 had actually been hit in a shop by someone buying nappies because they were buying nappies and actually the na- and a number of packets of nappies, but the nappies were for a number of different households. So, again, you know, some people w- would were not panicking buying, they were buying on behalf of other people. But in some ways, some of the panic buying is actually um, rational responses in, in very, very, very difficult situations. And um, I think supermarkets bringing a sense of order, um, in terms of making sure their their, their shelves are restocked um, quickly, and that they have good queuing systems and all that, all of these things are very, very, very helpful for people to have some sense that 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 they're being looked after, and also the constant news that there is enough food can also be really protective. I, I was interested to see that in Italy they didn't have panic buying actually, they were much more orderly and um and there there wasn't a sense of this panic that we've had here, but also to think about for everybody who's panic buying, there are also a lot of people at home who weren't able to get to the shops because of their disabilities or they were elderly or or poorly or isolated. And um, I'd like to see even more efforts going forward into supporting those people, whether or not they're on this list of um, one and a half million people um, identified by the government with particular health concerns. Because there's lots of disabled people, for example, um, who fall between the stool of getting really good social care support and um, being out there on their own, so um i'm my I'm thinking about what what any of us can do for those people living in our streets in our communities in our localities
0: i, I guess a lot of us will be feeling uh, you know very different right now what we'll sort of before we go get on to sort of resilient moves the ways that people can can sort of help themselves and others. Uh, what sort of symptoms could we be looking at, seeing in ourselves, which we may need to feel like we need to act upon from this situation?
1: But in terms of mental health, if you're sleeping, eating okay, if you're uh, managing to to get up in the morning and and do something vaguely positive with your life I mean it's a difficult situation it's not a normal situation because so it would be a bit odd if we went around absolutely euphoric I met someone a neighbor in a week or so ago who was absolutely euphoric and I was thinking oh my goodness that's not a good sign because this is actually a, a very difficult situation but The basics that that, and also that our mood is not so low that we can't get out of bed. These sort of things are, are things to, or if we're constantly catastrophizing and obsessive, as I spoke about earlier. And of course, some people will have really, really profound money money worries. And there are lots of people who lost their jobs. You know, one of my own children who who was who found a job, and it was very difficult for him to. Find a job because he's got a learning disability and lots of other complexities, and he's just lost his job. You know, people out there are losing their jobs. So, um and I've been supporting him around that, trying to help him with have a view to the future that there will be he will get a job again in the future, and help him with sort of, think about his monetary situation.
0: I mean, it's important for us all to find ways to get through this sort of strange existence right now so can, can you explain the, the resilience framework and how it might be applied in, in the current climate
1: so the resilience framework is a set of 42 different specific ideas that are put together some years ago now with colleagues working in mental health and social care originally it was designed for working in supporting most disadvantaged families that i was working in child and adolescent mental health service so i have a background myself in mental health um services but it's expanded a bit more now so that we the other people have developed the resilience framework to work to work or support other groups um, including vulnerable adults particularly and also young people themselves have been have been have taken up it it and made it their own in many different guises and there's lots of examples of this and and more information about the resilience framework on one of our websites so the website is um, boingboing.org.uk and you can download copies of it and um, if you're an adult you could um, either download the Children and families version. We've got a children's version, a young people and young people's version, but then also a family's version and then an adult's version. So, and it suggests things to do that are evidence based that can support resilience in times of really great adversity, which certainly the current situation warrants.
0: You've suggested a, a few things people can do to support the resilience of themselves and the community. I read a few out which you provided from uh, the people uh, you know. Um, I'll just read a few out now. Uh, some ways that people can use these resilient moves, I guess, and putting on a lovely working from home outfit. at least one day a week. Someone felt that today and felt good um, even if it's going to be seen by colleagues on Microsoft Teams. Another one, at the weekend I'll be potting up my dahlias to put up on my windowsill in anticipation of a nice summer garden. Cheers me up to think of the summer and what my little garden will look like then. Um, A couple more. I'm putting in some structure and boundaries making sure that I take screen breaks and be careful to not let technology take over my life now that I'm having to socially isolate and just a um, final one here. Um, Neighbours in our streets who have never even spoken to each other before have pushed notes through doors offering help and support. I've done the same, offering to do some weeding for people if they are too poorly to garden, as long as they promise to let me do it in isolation. So these are all moves to help us feel better about the situation, but also to to help others. And that last one, um, I you know we've had loads of things through our door. I think a lot of people are doing similar things about maybe doing some shopping for people collecting medication driving them around we are seeing the best of of humanity as well at the moment since after it's after the initial sort of panic died down a little
1: yeah um one thing i'm thinking about in terms of resilience moves is to try and and think also about the idea of a slow move rather than a quick move because people seem to be really really rush in to support, help, work, you know, do all these things. We've all many of us have been working flat out ever since this is all kicked in. And I think now perhaps is the time to be thinking about what a month calls slow moves. So um making sure that you really do not overwork, that you're not constantly on the internet, which again we know that the internet it doesn't anyway doesn't have the greatest benefits for people necessarily for their mental health there's a lot of research both in relation to children and adults that show that ex- over excessive internet use can be, can be not be good for you so we need to be mindful of that both individually and as a university and um but also we need to be careful about what 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 the consequences might be of all this internet use further down alone, not just in terms of mental health, but also about in relation to our own privacy and things like that. We're all rushing at the moment to use Zoom, for example. Well, the Ministry of Defence have just basically said that they're no longer using Zoom because it, it's, it has security risks. So we have all these tech companies taking all our, data, all our data and we just quickly sign a form saying, oh, yes, and don't read it properly. But what is that? What's happening later on? I think everyone in the university needs to be mindful about that. And we need to think that through. Um, also, I'm just thinking about family life at the moment, particularly for people who are living with in really tri- difficult situations and we will be having staff and students who are in that, that, those situations and um just trying to carve out some personal space in your house even if it's all or, or flat even if it's a favorite cushion or you know um a small chair that you can just say that this is my chair that i'm returning to can we all I- agree that we've got our own little spaces here i've got a friend who um has got a mum coming to stay and again their house is absolutely tiny so there's they're having to change around everything in the household to have um the mum to stay and those sort of situations already she's thinking carefully through where where they're going to be able to carve out some personal space and also some time whether they're going to take it in turns to actually be allowed to watch the telly and things like that these simple things um i also wanted to say something about what people and their partners or um husbands wives um uh, civil partners how how things may be in that sphere because you've got to take the long view around all this being around someone for that amount of time is is really really challenging for relationships so again perhaps have half an hour a day when everyone in the household is able to say what they feel about the situation and and um, how the family is coping together and bring up any difficult Difficulties and and try to resolve them together in that half an hour dedicated half an hour space.
0: That's a good tip. And uh, and one of the things we keep hearing about as, as well is for you know families spending a lot more time with each other at the moment. It, it's both a good and a and a, and a bad thing. um You could look at it two two ways. We're hearing a lot about homeschooling, of course, and how people are parents are dealing with. Um, working from home this new situation while working uh, they're trying to homeschool as well but what about the I mean your experience as a child and family psychotherapist what about the children I mean how 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 are they feeling in in this situation this is a they bring taken away from from their friends in school and you don't really know when you're going to be able to see them again it's 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 tougher for younger people isn't it yeah it's, it's
1: certainly tough for young people it's um particularly tough for the for the young, the vulnerable young people who are actually, many of whom are still going to school, remember? And that, on that front, I'm really pleased that the government have actually recognised the, the needs of the most vulnerable children in, in this country and, and are actually um, still, have, have still got a system of free school meals and are in many cases providing schooling or a safe space for those children, some of whom won't actually be terrible always terribly safe at, at, at home so in terms of homeschooling for children of um many parents many people in that situation will just get on with it and will do a good job of it and I've already heard lots of tales from from colleagues and friends of mine who are um, more more privileged in society around how they're managing that how their team teaching their children and and, and are managing their work but for the, for the children of course some of them, again, I, um, many kids I know are just getting on with it. Some kids, they're just really good at getting on with things. And, again, limiting their access to the internet is really important in terms of them not catastrophizing or reading things that are much too, too adult for them. I think that's important. I think there might be a temptation now, if you're working at home and your kids are around, to just think, oh, well, let them... They're, they're quiet and they're on the internet, but... That's, that's, that's potentially storing up difficulties for the future. Um, there are a number of good books around that can support children at these times through thinking about their ex- anxieties, uh, always having a space for children to talk about their anxieties. But again, not all the time. There's a balance here um i again i'm really quite in favor of this half an hour a day idea that you have a dedicated bounded bounded space to talk about anxieties concerns and it can become a bit of a family ritual right let's all sit down for our daily chat kind of debriefing a family debriefings good idea um so my heart really is um and my energies are more with those children who um don't have parents who are going to be able to homeschool them properly and and um, those children who, who don't have parents necessarily who are going to be able to talk through the difficulties with them, children in foster care, children in children's homes, you know, all of these children are children that, that need need all of us to be thinking about them, and thinking what we can do about them. I think the, the concern I have about the neighbourliness is that many of us who are more privileged, uh, we live in streets where other people are generally more privileged. So um, I know there's been a lot of that, that people are putting notes through each other's doors. But again, I'm thinking how I think it's important for all that we do that in our streets, that all of us who have more privilege in society do something for other people who really haven't. And there are mutual aid groups around that I think would be good to get involved with and or lobbying the government, writing to your MP. I've certainly written to my MP, um, absolutely outlining the that I thought that vulnerable people who um, are in, living in rented accommodation, for example, or um, people in precarious employment should be given more space in the daily press briefings that, that the government have been, have been giving out. So things like that are really, I think, are crucial in terms of beating the odds and changing the odds, because it's easier for those of us who are more privileged to beat the odds for us in our individual circumstances. We we know that that in that doing things for other people and supporting other people is also protective for our mental health. Obviously, we need to look after ourselves. And women are generally in society are more at risk from this that we uh, take on caring roles. Lots of the frontline responders and people working out there again, and many of them are women trying to juggle childcare, household work, and um outside work and care and responsibilities of elderly relatives but there is also that fundamental issue that, that that helping other people um is something that's actually good for us doing something useful is good for us so anybody who's um working for the university and hasn't isn't actually being being able to work at home i would really strongly recommend if you're fit and healthy that you do get involved with the volunteering up, um, opportunities out there
0: all good advice we'll pop some links um about boing boing in the in the podcast description and in that you'll be able to find out more about uh the resilience framework as well uh we did toy about whether we were going to do this at the end of the podcast angie we do it at the end of each one but um i think we're going to go for it because we need to have a bit of uh just it's just a bit of fun at the end of each podcast and yeah. questions away from your work um first one very quickly what advice would you give to your younger self
1: just um Analyse carefully what will matter down the line. So I'm a really highly emotional person and I get into a stew over things that might not necessarily matter. And I've actually forgotten about three weeks later. So very, very important to um, underreact in situations where you might overreact, I would would have said to myself.
0: If you could pick any other subject to study at the University of Brighton, what might it be?
1: Either textiles, because I love doing and making. And so that's a brilliant way as well to develop activist messages. So we're developing some work at the moment with them um, colleagues in fashion, which is very exciting, or sports science, because um it would make me get out there and um do lots of exercise, which I do do and I love. In fact, um it's quite ironic this whole thing about exercise and the government saying that we need to that we can go exercising once a day. I've had a few people saying to me, I don't really do much exercise, but it is at least an opportunity to get to to go out of my house now. So I'm going wandering around the block. So maybe that will get the loads of the nation up and um, running or something now.
0: Yeah, uh, good advice. Um can you pick a favourite place in Sussex when we when we can get out and about?
1: Rotting Dean Seafront. There's this wonderful bench there where I look. It overlooks the sea. Um, I'm sitting there with my takeaway coffee in a reusable mu- mug, um, sharing an ice cream from the local shop, um, if I'm lucky. And this this is for me, is a really what I call a safe space in my mind, the sea's calm, it's absolutely beautiful. And um, a few years ago I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder because my sister died under very tragic circumstances and it was really it's a really calming kind of place in my mind to go back to that i used when i was trying to work through through what had happened and it's really really helpful and again it's a really good thing for people now another tip is if you're if you're getting yourself into a state you know think of a place in your mind where you have been really really happy and content and go there go there in your head and really get a sense of what it's like feel that feel the texture of the place and what the weather's like and all that into some detail and it it, that's that's a really good technique to help people calm themselves down
0: when we can all go out and about again and freely move about and do whatever uh, we like to do in uh, in the Brighton area, what would you what what would you advise people do? A visitor that comes down here for a day,
1: I would advise they go to some of the quirkiest pubs and bars in the in the, in, in, in in the country. So we have some fantastic places. I'm very uh, one of the things I love nothing better than is to be hanging out in a a, a bar that's run by by gay gay Brightonians, for example, the Bedford Tavern. That's, that's like someone's sitting room, that pub. It's absolutely lovely, a real mix of people. Um, I took my mum there and she did karaoke for the first time singing, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. She said she'd never do karaoke, but they got her up there singing the queen's arms where you see some great acts and um, a real really good way to lose yourself in a crowd and, and just have a real laugh and let your hair down
0: cool um final few questions tell us something interesting about you which a lot of people may not know
1: well according to my fit bit i'm in the excellent fitness category for a woman of my age now i'm quite i'm really quite podgy so you might be very very surprised at that
0: and finally, if you could pick three people to host for a dinner party, who would they be, and why?
1: Well, right now, frankly, nobody, because I'm quite peopled out. Ironically, but working online, I'm and also all the people I'm supporting and liaising with. I feel like I actually I'm I'm a lot I'm not lonely in the slightest, and I'm spending a lot of time communicating with people. But if I did, if I really had to, I would definitely pick Boris Johnson. So I could on the one hand wow him with my amazing culinary nights, which I absolutely love cooking. So um that'd be that'd be lovely. But also help him commit to raising higher tax raising tax rates. Some of the things that I feel really fundamentally are important. I thought he could slip some legislation in now, raising the rate of t- the higher higher tax rate because there's always this argument that people will lose the country and i and I'm thinking well they can't go anywhere now so we could do that <laughs> it would be really good. Uh, also paying essential workers like care staff, cleaners, and delivery drivers properly and really rebalancing the idea in society about who counts and who should be paid um, a decent wage and I'm hoping this will this will create a massive shift in that and um, also making sure that those most vulnerable, the ho- homeless people, people with learning difficulties, refugees, are, are, are looked after during the crisis. We really hear very little about those on the, on the press briefings, and I've I've listened to every single press briefing. Then, of course, I'd have someone who'd make me laugh, Julia Davis, who's absolutely a comic genius. She's um one of the people behind she's on Gavin and Stacey, for example, because having a life for me in these situations is so important. Watching comedy programs rather than scary dramas, I'd be the last person to watch anything horror related or cr- criminal or jo- things around crime and murder, but just good old fashioned fun and laughter. But then I'd only invite them, I wouldn't invite anybody else because I'd have my husband here and who I wouldn't be able to not not invite to my dinner party and um, I think four people's enough for a dinner party because there's loads of washing up afterwards. And also you really get to talk to people.
0: That's it for this podcast. Thank you so much to Angie for her time. Hopefully plenty in that interview, which will help you through this strange time. You can subscribe to these podcasts via most apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn. We're on a lot of them. Search University of Brighton. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.